invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Uh, John chapter 6, that's on page 891 of your Pew Bibles. We've been thinking about um, the gospel these past two weeks, gospel service last Sunday, and uh, this morning thinking about gospel sacrifice, especially the sacrifice of Christ, and in a spirit of thanksgiving, would like to thank our, our worship team. Thank you, Catherine, Paula, Susan, singing uh, this morning. I'm thankful I didn't have to sing alone up here. But uh, hear God's word, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, and we'll be reading through the 15th verse. Uh, this is the word of God. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then... And seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not be buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Amen to this reading of God's holy word. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, thank you for giving to us your word, the Bible. Thank you for giving to us, Father, 
your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this morning um, that you would be teaching us, instructing us about giving thanks always for your great love for us in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You know, one of the first two-word phrases that uh, parents try to teach their children, or at least that we try to teach our children, is the phrase, thank you. You know, it's great when our children learn to say mama or daddy, and of course we don't have to teach them how to say no. You know, that seems to be uh, there from uh, birth. You know, it's our purposeful desire for our children to to naturally, spontaneously um, say thank you when they receive a bowl of cereal, a cookie, a sippy cup of juice, birthday present, Christmas present. You know, and part of our responsibility in teaching them that is we need to model it, uh, that idea of, of giving thanks. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles there to John 6. If you're not there already there in this scene, and especially John 6, uh, verse 11, we behold Jesus, the Son of God, you know, giving thanks uh, for the five barley loaves, for the two fish that have been given to him by Andrew. Andrew, it seems, received this generous gift from a young lad by the Sea of the Galilee, And this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is a vital miracle in John's gospel. In fact, it's a vital miracle in all of the gospels. Apart from Jesus' death and resurrection from the grave, this is the only miracle that you find in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now here in John. You know, what are we to learn here? Let every Christian give thanks for Jesus' sacrificial gift of the gospel. What do we need to learn about giving thanks to Jesus? I think it begins with a selfish pursuit, and then we'll see Jesus' sacrificial provision, and then as well Jesus' salvation purpose begins with a selfish pursuit of of Jesus by the crowd. The the setting is this in John's gospel. Jesus and his 12 disciples have left Jerusalem. They're heading up uh, to the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee to a little town called Bethsaida. Uh, Jesus is seeking a solitary spot where he and the disciples uh, can rest for a bit. And John's gospel tells us as well, only here in John, that this is also called the Sea of Tiberias, so named by Herod in about A.D. 26 in honor of the emperor. Uh, But as Jesus and his disciples are seeking this solitude, uh, we Scripture tells us that a large crowd was following him. Jesus' ministry is, is popular at this point. They saw the signs, you know, they they saw the miracles, 
And just in John's gospel, there's been the healing of the official's ill son in John chapter 4, the healing of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5. Maybe they had heard about Jesus turning water into wine uh, there at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Uh, But they seem to be seeking uh, Jesus as what I would call thrill-seekers. You know, they're seeking to experience the entertainment of his mighty miracles. You know, they saw the signs. Jesus does see signs. Do we want to see Jesus do more signs? And so it could rightly be called a selfish pursuit. But the scriptural spotlight in John 6 is on Jesus, Not on the crowds, not on the boy, not on Philip or Andrew. They're they're all vital. But it's on Jesus. For those of you who uh, do word counts, the name Jesus is mentioned six times. But then if you look at the pronoun he, referring to Jesus, it's used 16 times. So 22 times in 15 verses, Jesus is referred to. In this miracle. So Jesus and his disciples go up to the mountaintop. And to put this a little bit in context. It's what is called today the Golan Heights in Israel. Uh, The plan there was for scriptural teaching. Jesus sat down. Not, Not so much to rest. But that's what a teacher did. A rabbi did. Teach. Sitting down. John's gospel as well tells us, and it's only in John's gospel, that it's the Passover. You know, why is the Passover important? You know, we go back to the Old Testament, to Exodus. You know, we think of God's mighty defeat of Israel's dread foe, the Egyptians. We, we think of their deliverance from bondage, so we can look back as we think of the Passover, but we can also look ahead. John chapter 13, verse 1, we read this, John 13, 1, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know, it it points us ahead to the cross. You know, the last Passover of Jesus life. You know, consider, you know, as you go through the Gospels, and uh, give you more details next week, but I would encourage you to read Luke's Gospel, uh, beginning December the 1st. Just read a chapter a day. You know, as you prepare your hearts, your family, for uh, the birth celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as you go through the Gospels, one way you can go through the Gospels, consider all the hungry, hurting, and hopeless people that pursued Jesus seeking help. Whether it was a need for wine at the wedding, John's Gospel, the woman of Samaria looking for the water that was welling up to eternal life, You know, today, the the crowds, I believe, still selfishly pursue Jesus. You know, 
for a quick fix, painless cure for their affliction, looking for prompt relief from their pain. Take it a step further, looking for prosperity, you know, health and wealth. You know, if you trust in Jesus, you'll, you'll never have to go to the doctor and you'll always have plenty of, of money in your bank account. You know, that's a selfish pursuit of Jesus. But Jesus still sees the crowd in their desperate need. He shows them his sacrificial compassion. And Jesus still sees our need. You know, he, he still sees, you know, our need for him. So we begin with a selfish pursuit by the crowd. But now in verses 5 through 11, we see a sacrificial provision of Jesus for the need of the crowd. You know, Jesus is at work here. You know, and what's the first sign of that? Jesus lifted up. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him. You know, just just a a seemingly insignificant phrase. You know, Jesus lifting up his eyes means that he not only sees the crowd, you know, but it's an expression that that is used when he's looking to the Lord in prayer. You know, recognizing that, that he is serving God the Father, God the Son serving God the Father. So he's lifting up his eyes. Jesus beheld the large crowd. He saw the need here. You know, and if you read through the accounts in the other Gospels, John doesn't tell us, you know, what all three of the synoptic Gospels tell us. They, Jesus does not heed the disciples' plea to send the crowds away. That's what the disciples say to him in the other Gospels. Jesus, send the crowds away. Send them to the city. They can buy food there, find lodging in the city. You know, there's no mention of Jesus directing them either. You give them something to eat. And and so John's account is unique in, in several different ways and Note there verse, the last part of verse 5. Jesus here speaks to Philip. You know, we met Philip, if you read through John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 44. Uh, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and, and Peter. And here Jesus is proving, testing Philip. He asks him the question, you know, where can we go to buy bread in order that they may eat? You know, and it's striking that Jesus asks that question because he already knows the answer. You know, why does Jesus ask him? Scripture tells us there, verse 6, he said this to test him. He said this to try his faith, to prove his faith. You know, we, we see the same scriptural truth in uh, the first chapter of James, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, that same word, the testing of your faith, produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
You know, and here Jesus is testing the faith of Philip. You know, that's a hard thing. You know, most of us, if Jesus were to say, well, I'm going to test your faith, we would say, you know, pass me by. You know, let, let someone else's faith be tested. You know, Matthew Henry said this about this testing, when Christ is pleased to puzzle his people, it is only with a design to prove them. And so Philip here um, makes a statement. He really doesn't answer the question. Uh, Verse 7, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. A little speculation here. I'm wondering if Philip was an accountant, quartermaster, supply officer, engineer. You can almost see the calculator going on in his head. He's looking out there at the crowd, and he's thinking, well, if each person each eats this much bread, one barley loaf, each barley loaf costs, costs this, and he's doing all the math in his head. And, and, and then I think... Finally, smoke is coming out of his ears, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, 200 denarii would not be enough. And just to give you a little sense of the word, it's, it's, it's a challenge to relate it, but a denarii you know, was a day's wage. And so let's say you were getting paid $10 an hour, and you can do the math. It would be somewhere around sixteen to $20,000, you know, a chunk of change. And uh, Philip knows they don't have that kind of money. And even if they did have the money, there's not a super Walmart, a Costco, Sam's nearby, you know, where you could go and buy that kind of bread and fish. You know, but, but Jesus is testing him, you know, not, not to break him, not to, to humble him, but to grow his faith, to teach him what it means about sacrificial giving. And Jesus isn't done. He moves from... Philip there, now in verse 8, to to Andrew, you know, another disciple. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know, every every time you read the name Andrew, that's that's always the the titles, you know. Oh, Andrew. Oh, I'm Simon Peter's brother. Oh, okay. We know who you are. You know, and so you would say it's someone down the list, but but here Andrew... um, jumps right in, and uh, Andrew uh, courageously communicates to Jesus the fact that there's a young boy present who possesses five barley loaves and two fish. Uh, But then, without waiting for Jesus' response, look what Andrew says. But what are they for so many? You know, you can almost see him shrugging his shoulders. And to give you a few insights again here, scriptural insights, the word there for boy, you know, there is a boy here, you know, it's what's called the double diminutive. It's not only a boy, but it's a young boy. Five, six, seven, eight years old, who's carrying barley loaves, you know, just small loaves. Barley was the the coarsest grain that you could eat, eaten by poor people. And he is carrying two fish. It's a different word for fish here. 
could either be pickled fish, more likely it's cooked fish, and they, he probably had this fish with him to put on these barley loaves because they were so dry. The only way you could get them down is he had a little fish with the barley loaves. So it's a meager meal. I know all sorts of Bible stories or stories have been written based upon this and don't magnify the sacrificial meal of this boy, but don't minimize it either. You know, it's only here in John. And uh, the best way of understanding it here is that the boy offered it to Andrew. And Andrew brought it to Jesus. You know, the, the significance here, you know, of children in giving sacrificially. I'll give you a couple other scriptural examples, just two, real quick. Abraham, Genesis 22, is ready to offer his young son Isaac. And what does Isaac say? Genesis 22, verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he, that is Isaac, said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You know, we speak of the faith of Abraham, but the faith of Isaac, too, even as a young boy. Won't read the account, but if you jot this down, Second Kings chapter 5, there is a young Jewish servant girl. We don't even know her name. She's in Syria. Uh, she serves Naaman's wife, a military commander, and Naaman is suffering from leprosy, and this young... Um, Israelite slave girl tells her her mistress who then passes it on up that well if Naaman went to Israel and talked to Elisha the prophet that he could be healed and great gospel great story there in the Old Testament read it to your children you know but but Jesus is hearing Andrew but note what happens next And now verse 10. You know, Jesus said, you know, note note how Jesus here doesn't panic. F.F. Bruce said, he, that is Jesus, who knew what he was going to do, had no need to panic. When confronted by this huge catering problem, he proceeded about his work with perfect orderliness. You know, so what does Jesus do? He says, have the people sit down. John tells us there's much grass. Springtime of the year, and you can't think about much grass without thinking of the 23rd Psalm. You know, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. And so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and back in those days, they only counted the men. Most likely there were at least 15, maybe 20,000 people in this crowd. And what does Jesus do? After he makes the people sit down, he, he then is giving thanks. 
You know, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks. You know, that is a special word for thanks there. It's a word from which we get the English word Eucharist. You know, there, there are hints. It points us ahead to communion, the Lord's Supper. You know, again, where Jesus breaks the bread, gives it to his disciples. And here Jesus is giving thanks. He verbally expressed gratitude for God's gracious blessing. But consider this. You know, here is Jesus, you know, the Son of God, the one who created, you know, who is giving thanks to God the Father. James chapter 1, verse 17, back to James again. James 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So Jesus is giving thanks, modeling, giving thanks. And then he distributes the bread and the fish. Jesus generously and graciously gives it to all. You know, it's hard to determine all the details. When did the bread all of a sudden become multiplied? Was it when Jesus broke it and gave it to his disciples or when the disciples had it in their baskets? Scripture doesn't... God wisely chooses not to include those details. You know, the emphasis is on Jesus. And on this gracious miracle, this sacrificial giving. And I love the details, though, here. He took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. You know, there are some modern scholars who say, what, this really wasn't a miracle, what took place here is Jesus gave the loaves and the fish to his disciples, and and the whole crowd then was moved by Jesus' generosity, so they opened their lunches, and they shared their lunches one with another. Didn't happen that way. You know, the other way they try to explain it, and this, try to tell the children, this one still baffles me. They, They say Jesus just took broke the five barley loaves into really tiny pieces, smaller than our communion bread. And there was enough bread for 20,000 people. No, it was a miracle. You know, Jesus breaking this bread, and to, to prove the miracle, the miraculous provision, as much as they wanted. No more. You know, we, we've had our fill. Jesus, we're satisfied. John Piper, if you listen to John Piper, uh, this is the one phrase we always remember uh, from John Piper, great preacher of God's word, but uh, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. You know, and here the disciples, the crowd are satisfied. God is glorified when we're satisfied in him. So we have this generous provision that's graciously supplied all for the glory of God, this sacrificial provision of Jesus for the need of the crowd. Christmas is coming. 
I'm reminding myself. One gift to consider giving, gift of books, you know, especially if you have children. You know, my life growing up was greatly impacted by books. My parents, grandparents, gave me Christian biographies. One of the biographies I read was of George Mueller, a pastor who lived in Bristol, England, back 1805-1898. What George Mueller was known for, you know, two things. One, he was a man of prayer, and secondly... You know, he, he was a, a man of God who, who cared for orphans. There was a great need in England in that day for orphanages. And uh, in faith, he started renting houses. He didn't have the money and finding the orphans. It said that over his lifetime that he cared for over 10,000 orphans. And uh, he chose not to ever ask for money. He would simply pray that God would provide. And the Lord never failed. George Muller. You can read the account. One morning he has all the children to sit down to the breakfast table. And he has no idea where breakfast is coming from. And uh, the story is told. uh, I'm telling you this faint memory. Uh, A baker comes to the house and said I was led to start baking bread at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I have all these extra loaves. Do you need the bread? And then comes another knock at the door. The milkman said, my milk cart broke down down the street. All the milk's going to go bad. Do you need milk? A man of great faith in Christ. One of his prayers was based on Matthew 6.11. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is in one of George Mueller's writings. He writes, on this petition, give us this day our daily bread, we may write clothes. In other words, we can pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, our daily clothes. May we, we can write clothes, house rent, taxes, supplies, for all that which our family requires. All this is implied in the petition for daily bread. You know, God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And how do we know that? Uh, Beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, we know it because of the promises of scripture. We see it here in this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know, three quick applications here. And then the last couple of verses. But three applications here. You know, first, Jesus still graciously proves the faith of believers. Yes, God will supply all of our needs, but there, you know, Jesus as well says he will test us. He will test your faith. He will test my faith. Not to cause it to crumble, you know, but to strengthen us in our walk of faith with Christ, to grow our faith in Christ. That's what Jesus was doing with Philip and Andrew. Secondly, it's a call to give thanks 
to our triune God. You know, that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. Revelation 11, verse 17. Saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. You know, and why are we going to be saying, giving thanks for all eternity? Because there's never going to be reason, you know, we're never going to run out of reason to give thanks to God. Third, you know, our gratitude for God's grace in us, in Christ, compels us to give sacrificially. You know, to give sacrificially of our five barley loaves and two fish. You may think, Lord, this isn't much, but it's all I have. You know, we're to give sacrificially to the Lord of our time, our talent, our energies, and yes, our money to the Lord. And what's the Lord going to do with that which we sacrificially give to him? He's going to use it to bless others. Five, ten thousand, twenty thousand people, people around the globe who will hear the good news of the gospel of Christ. Finally, here and quickly, uh, verses 14 and 15, there's a salvation purpose for Jesus, for his disciples. 12 and 13, backing up. Uh, there's a plentiful supply for of the Savior. And when they had eaten their fill, you know, again, we're told they were stuffed, they were satisfied. In fact, so much that they gathered up the excess bread and fish. You know, there's an abundance. Why? You know, that nothing may be lost. D.A. Carson puts it this way. Though the Lord has lavish abundance to meet the needs of the people, he will let nothing be wasted. You know, it, you know it, in fact, it's so much. There's 12. They believe they were strong wicker baskets. No one's quite sure of the size. But filled with the broken pieces, not, not just crumbs, you know, but broken pieces, the fragments of, of the fish, 12. Number of completion. And now the people accuse Jesus of being just a prophet. Well, it's a great miracle, but they see still Jesus as a prophet. Sort of like a Moses, manna in the wilderness. But then finally there in verse 15, Jesus perceives, know that they were coming to come and take him by force to make him king. But just a political king. You know, we're, we're ready for this Roman government to be gone, get rid of those dread taxes, you know, have one who can promise us a, a chicken in every pot, barley loaves and on every table. And so what does Jesus do? He withdraws. He, it's not his time yet for the cross. But one day he will be. King of kings and Lord of lords, sitting on the throne for all eternity. You know, it's been an eventful week for our family. You know, Lynn's surgery on a Monday. I told folks in Sunday school, appreciate your prayers for our daughter, Danielle, in Atlanta. Uh, in a car wreck yesterday, her car was totaled. Uh, she is safe. Uh, 
doing well, just sore. And, and the Lord's been teaching, and I'm sure he's been teaching you as well, giving thanks in all circumstances. Giving thanks because of his love for us in Christ. You know, there is sacrificial giving. So let us learn to thank the Lord that he lovingly supplies our daily bread. But let us never cease to give Jesus thanks for his sacrificial death for our sins on the cross. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, uh, may we never cease to give you thanks and praise and worship and adoration. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. Thank you for our homes, clothes to wear. But, Lord, may we especially thank you for Jesus, the one who gave all in his incarnation, sinless life, in his sacrificial death. So may we ever give you thanks for the love of Christ. Thank you that you are a good and gracious God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.